What's up, everybody? Martial Media Montage, episode 52. I'm going to be talking Cat in the Brain, Dracula the Dead and Loving at Night, Stick, Wishmaster 3, Waxwork 2, Crime Wave, Action 52, B52, and Figment. Oh, yeah. I'm going to be talking six films, two unlicensed video games, and one video game that I'm currently playing that I thoroughly enjoy. Most of these films I enjoyed. Maybe, like, one I was like, eh, whatever. But, uh, yeah. So here it is, episode 52, coming at you. Enjoy. Thank you for the love and support as always. Let's go, episode 52. What's up, everybody? Martial Media Montage, episode 52. It's been a minute, but uh, I know, just been super busy with work. But uh, I'd like to start off with, uh, I guess, a comedic fantasy horror uh, film as uh, imdb uh, portrays it but uh, it is called a cat in the brain 1990 it is an hour and 33 minutes long rated r go figure it's a uh, lucille fulci film labeled as i stated uh i don't really necessarily agree with the uh, comedic aspect of it but the other two for sure it's it's certainly a fantasy horror for those uh, who are involved with uh, the fan base uh synopsis is that horror film director lucio fulci talked by a or excuse me talked to a mad psychiatrist a serial killer played by david thompson bent on killing people to model the killings of the director's gory death scenes from his uh, previous films so basically uh picture west craven's new nightmare eh, a few years prior everything uh i'd say about what five or six years i think uh yeah because this is 1990 uh um New Nightmare, I believe, came out like 95, 96, something like that. I didn't look it up, but that sounds about right. uh, Lucio Fulci plays himself in his own mind as he starts to lose it, uh, his own reality, uh, as more and more uh, as the film goes on. And it's insane. It's just gore and kills ensue throughout the film. It's certainly a trip. Uh, The only cat sequences in reference to the uh, actual title of the film are essentially in the uh, beginning credits where it's like these uh, cats essentially... I don't know, like playing with these like brains as the credits roll. And you can tell that it's, uh, you know, like puppets. It doesn't necessarily look real at all. And, you know, they have groaning and meowing sounds and so forth, these uh, cats. But it's just such a weird film, which is fine. But, <coughs> excuse me, personally, I'd rather see uh, humans ultimately uh, perish in a film rather than animals. That's just me. But I'm assuming there's a lot of, uh, for those of us that are out there that are animal enthusiasts, would rather see that as well. That's why we watch these movies, right? It has a 5.5 out of 3,500 reviews. I believe it's like 3,508. I just rounded down, according to IMDb, uh, which it feels, in my perspective, that I, d- I think it deserves a higher uh, score than that because it's just batshit crazy. It's, as soon as it takes off, it doesn't let off. Next to Zombie, The Beyond, and House by the Cemetery. This one is up there for me. It's incredibly just batshit crazy. It's 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 out there worth a watch. Uh, as I stated, directed, written and starring Lucio Fulci and as himself and, uh, David L Thompson, who is the uh, psychiatrist who essentially plays out for Fulci, his fascination with, uh, slashing sequences with a smile. Uh, he actually kind of reluctantly, well, not even reluctantly, just truthfully, the, uh, man who plays the, uh, psychotherapist, analyst, whatever you want to call him kind of looks like my uncle. So it's, I don't know. It's weird, but uh, <laughs> I guess just a coincidence, more or less. Uh, it's basically smut gore porn. It's incredible. It hits that nostalgic sense of what the fuck is this film? I am intrigued, along with uh, you know his other tops like New York Ripper and Enigma. I feel like Enigma definitely deserves a lot more credit than what it deserves. It's, I mean, even the fucking incredible box art is just—it's amazing. 
Uh, I, I need to rewatch that one. Um, or, or murder, murder to the tune of uh, Seven Black Notes, a.k.a. The Psychic, which also has a really cool box art with it, um, a skull on the front. It's just a Fulci classic. I mean, Lucio Fulci was, you know, just highly regarded next to, like, Dario Argento at the time. You know, those were the two uh, top tier in my perspective, you know, obviously next to, like, Bava and, uh, you know, uh, Luigi Cosi and so forth. But uh, uh, he's a certainly a uh, giallo force to be reckoned with. Uh, like his Fabio Fabrizi, who does the music to his films, as to uh, Ar- uh, Dario Argento's uh, Claudio Simonetti, The Goblin. You know, as far as the classic, jazzy, ominous, just omnipotently just weird horror jazz funk. It's it's awesome. Trivially, according to IMDb, the original script was 49 pages long, containing no dialogue and only contained uh, body mutilation, imagery, and sound effects that would complement what uh, panned out on screen, which pretty much makes sense because there's really not too much dialogue that you really need to pay attention to anyway. You're more or less just watching the images, which it's, it's fucking weird. It's, it's worth it. It's like borderline like Koyani Scotsy, for those of you that know just weird montage films that just play out and just music plays in the background. That's basically what this is. There's, there's dialogue in this, but it's really not that important. Uh, evidently, Fulci edited footage from six films, according to IMDb. Wikipedia states differently, I believe, but I'll get to that momentarily. Uh, from Bloody Psycho, 1989, to Phantasma, 1988, Hansel and Gretel, 90, Massacre, 89, The Murder, Secret, 88, and Touch of Death, 88. Uh, now that I know these, I need to track down these films and watch them. So thank you, IMDb. Even in the Italian version, uh, Fulci didn't use his own voice. Uh, he wasn't certain of how it would sound. So, uh, it was actually dubbed by, uh, Elio Zamuto. Elio, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it. Excuse me. Uh, purposefully, the title is actually a play on, on Dr. Seuss's A Cat in the Hat. So there you go. Uh, anyway, Released August 8th, 1990, and its budget was only $100,000, which uh, by today's standards is next to nothing. I have no idea how much it grossed. I couldn't find anything uh, via IMDb or Wiki. So moving on. As per Wiki, also known as a nightmare concert, Fulci uh, stars as a fictionalized version of himself, a tortured filmmaker driven by violent visions he experiences behind the camera and offset. Losing his grip on reality, disturbed by murderous fantasies, consults a psychotherapist who is secretly a serial killer and, as I stated, is uh, played by David L. Thompson, using hypnosis, exploiting the the director's vulnerability to his own murderous ends. It's it's something else, man. It's really cool. It's certainly worth a watch, I'd say. Like, I almost want to rewatch it because I feel like there's stuff I missed, but... Known uh, as essentially the film equivalent to uh, Federico Fellini's Eight and a Half, which I've never heard of, using its uh, cynical humor uh, aspect. I don't find it humorous at all. I just I was just amazed at the practical effects, and <laughs> you know, some I feel like sometimes these Italian movies just blow like Tom Savini's shit out of the water. Not that I don't. Okay, excuse me. I love Tom Savini's work, even his early stuff like the film called Effects, which nobody really ever talks about. Um, you know, I mean, Tom Savini's incredible. He's a super down-to-earth guy. I, I, okay, more or less, I think it's on par with that is what I was trying to say With uh, as far as the uh, just gore and practical effects and just the use of what they had at the time. Uh, moving on, juxtaposed to uh, gory uh, horror clips from his uh, past films, Fulci shot a wraparound se- uh, segment featuring his own plot used 
um, Vincenzo Tomasi's film editing, creating a storyline, a personal insight into the effects of horror filmmaking at and losing one's uh, mental state. Like I said, inspiring Craven's new nightmare. In my mind, I feel like that's the best uh, alliteration to it. Production-wise, the film was composed entirely in post-production, assembling his previous films, uh, Sodoma's Ghost and Touch of Death. The wraparound segment was actually shot in Rome's famous Sinceta, Sinceta, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it, studios. And the uh, ending sequence is actually on Fulci's uh, private yacht, known as Perversion. (laughs) What a... Ah, man, what a fucking trippy name for a boat. But anyway, usually they have, uh, I feel like, female-related names for boats, but it is what it is, where he uh, takes a girl below decks, uh, supposedly kills her, and then unbeknownst to the audience at the time, she comes back. It's essentially a happy ending, and you see the film director, you know, cut, print it, whatever, filming Fulci and the woman, and uh, Fulci essentially sailing away in credits. Uh, As far as releases go, it was released on VHS and DVD by Image Entertainment in 2001 as a part of the uh, quote-unquote Euroshock collection in limited quantities, uh, reissued then eight years later in 2009 by Grindhouse Label, and then seven years later in 2016 on Blu-ray, an uncensored uh, director's cut. I personally don't own it. I watched it on Tubi. It's on there for free. By all means, watch it. There's ads. Who cares? I mean, it's free. Why? Right? I mean, might as well. So going on nine minutes, uh, this is the first film of my episode 52. Yes, A Cat in the Brain. Highly recommended. Go watch it. Moving on to the next film. Let's go. All right. Dracula Dead and Loving It, 1995. <clears throat> PG-13, an hour and 28 minutes. Labeled as a comedy fantasy horror. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. All three of those uh, definitely fit the bill there. It's not as good as Young Frankenstein, but definitely good nonetheless in its own right. Mel Brooks' parody of the uh, classic Bram Stoker uh, vampire story in its famous film adaptations, you know, with uh, Christopher Lee and so forth. Um, It has a 5.8 out of 43,000 reviews, starring Lisa Nielsen as Dracula, a.k.a. Frank Drebin from the Naked Gun series, which... Those are definitely much better, even like wrongfully accused and so forth. But uh, Mel Brooks uh, plays Professor Van Helsing and uh, Peter McNichol from uh, Ghostbusters 2 and uh, Dragon Slayer, which I feel like Dragon Slayer definitely doesn't really get mentioned that much. But it's it's cool in its own right. It's definitely part of the whole barbarian, you know, sci-fi type uh, medieval films from the 80s. But it's, it's awesome. Uh, Amy Yazbek from uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights. And, uh, of course, directed by uh, Mel Brooks uh, himself and written by him as well. Uh, fun fact, uh, Amy Yazbek was also uh, – she plays uh, Peggy from uh, fucking uh, The Mask with uh, Jim Carrey, the uh, redhead. I didn't realize that was her as well. Anyway, trivially, the uh, gypsy woman, uh, Madame uh, Wiespenskaya, excuse the uh, pronunciation, portrayed uh, as Mel Brooks's wife, actress Anne Bancroft, played by – or excuse me, played Maleva in The Wolfman, 1941 – and Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman in 1943. This was also the uh, most recent feature directed by Mel Brooks, uh, you know, as of late, apparently, uh, according to 2022, and as of this year. Uh, this was his last film. It's crazy. Uh, considered for uh, Dracula was also supposed to be a Kelsey Grammer from, uh, was it Frasier? Uh, but I'm glad that they actually stuck with uh, Nielsen. I think he definitely uh, portrays the uh, just whole... I don't know, comedic aspect to it, just much more so than I feel like Kelsey Grammer would have. Not that Kelsey Grammer is bad, but I mean, granted, I know Leslie Nielsen in his earlier uh, films, uh, especially like Tammy, you know, early comedy, 
he, he plays a lot more of a serious role, even like a, in the uh, film Nightstick, which I'm going to be going over a little later. Uh, he plays a serious cop in that film. He's a, a captain. And then uh, what is it? Uh, Forbidden Planet, you know, the uh, sci-fi classic from the uh, 50s, 60s, I believe. Uh, yeah, it's a much more of a serious kind of a film for Les Nielsen, but I, I prefer his uh, comedic roles a lot more personally. Uh, lastly, as part of the uh, film's promotion, Castle Rock released a uh, Got Blood uh, advertisement spoofing the uh, Got Milk campaign. So pretty funny. Released December 22nd, 1995, it was uh, made on a budget of $30 million, and it only grossed worldwide uh, $10 million. So it definitely flopped. It lost $20 million. Uh, principal photography began May of 95 and wrapped in September, so a few months prior to uh, release. Filming took place May to July at Culver Studios in California. There was a DVD release uh, as of June 2004 and then February 2006. But then a Blu-ray didn't see a release until 15 years later in uh, November of 21. Uh, excuse me. Uh, receptively, uh, Rotten Tomatoes rates it only at an average of 3.1 out of 10. I think it's like 11 reviewers, which is next to nothing. I mean, I feel like a lot more people should watch this film. Uh, underselling it, in my opinion. It definitely deserves more uh, praise and credit. Um you know, from what I've seen, it's probably not my, uh, favorite. It's definitely my least favorite of the Mel Brooks movies that I've watched, uh, considering young Frankenstein, uh, blazing saddles, uh, space balls, uh, history of the world. Part one, where's part two Mel? I know you're like 97 years old, but I think you could do a good job. I mean, well, granted the whole politically correct thing with a lot of people, I don't know if it would fly nowadays, but uh, or even Robin Hood Men in Tights. That, that's probably my favorite. I had that on VHS, loved it as a kid. I even had this film, uh, Dracula Dead and Loving It. I remember renting it from uh, Long's Drugs, and I think I just kept it. I, I don't think I ever returned it. I definitely don't know where it is now. But, uh, yeah, it's it's certainly worth a watch. It's not his best, as I stated in my opinion, but it, it's still funny in its own right. You know, the doctor wants to give everybody an enema, and then – Obviously, uh, Peter McNichol keeps eating bugs and, you know, he's claiming that he's not eating bugs and <clears throat> like, uh, there's these, uh, two girls that he essentially, well, Dracula, um, kind of hypnotizes in a room and he's asking them to like move for him and walk and so forth. And they keep tripping over everything. And he's like, you go to the door, you sit down, you, you know, his Bella Lugosi quote unquote, you know, Transylvanian accent. But, uh, yeah, it's. It's worth a watch. Once again, it's also free on Tubi TV, so get out there and watch it and uh, you know, tell me what you think. So, all right, moving on to this next film. <clears throat> okay, Nightstick, 1987, rated R, an hour and 35 minutes. Another film, two star, Lesson Nielsen, two in the same episode. Yay! <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't necessarily star. He's more or less a, a supporting actor. I'll get into that. I really don't have too much on this uh, TV film, but... Uh, it's the only TV film that I feel like I've ever watched with an R rating that was actually pretty good in my mind and uh, actually dropped the uh, F-bomb twice from what I remember. I believe they said fuck and then fucking if I'm not mistaken. I guess uh, three if you count the uh, graffiti in the background in uh, an alleyway. So whatever. The tagline is uh, you have the right to remain silent, which is pretty fucking just – I'll get to that momentarily. Uh, it's an action drama thriller about a cop – who uh, tries to prevent a gang of ex, uh, extortionists from blowing up New York City with a nitroglycerin. They are essentially uh, uh, plotting to take as much money as possible and uh, putting um, nitroglycerin uh, bombs around these uh, banks. And they're uh, getting a hold of uh, Mr. Beardsley, played by Moody from uh, Killer Clowns. Uh, John Vernon, I believe is his name. Yes, John Vernon. 
uh, shout out to Killer Clowns. Um, yeah, it, I'll get into what's going on. But anyway, it has a 4.3 out of 147 reviews. I think it deserves a 6 in my mind at least. It's not just nostalgia talking. Uh, it, it was actually a pretty good uh, TV film. Uh, as far as TV movies go, I mean, you know, I've watched what Salem's Lot, which I enjoyed. Really cool fucking iconic classic cover. Same with uh, Stephen King's It with, uh, you know, Tim Curry as uh, Pennywise, not the Bill Skarsgård version. I still prefer the Tim Curry version, even though clearly the Bill Skarsgård version plays much more in tune with the book than the uh, previous uh, TV film did. But uh, I feel like a lot of TV movies don't necessarily get a lot of credit, which I know they don't. They're just not as great as quality most of the time, but there are a few that are worth watching, and Nightstick 1987 is worth watching in my mind. Uh, starring Bruce Fairburn uh, plays Detective Calhoun with Robert Vaughn as Ray Melton, who's a lot older in this film. And once again, as I stated, Leslie Nielsen as uh, Captain Thad Evans in a serious role, as I stated, rather than a comedic one with John Vernon. Once again, also, as I said, not as a cop. Uh, and plays Adam Beardsley, who I believe is uh, kind of like a CEO of the uh, banks that I believe within the uh, city of New York that they're um, um, creating bombs around. Uh, directed by Joseph Scanlon, who did Outer Limits episodes as well as Star Trek. So he's definitely certainly familiar with uh, TV. Trivially, one thing I found on IMDb, that's it. Released in the UK as Metal Force, which sounds like in my mind as an NES or Super Nintendo game or hell, even a fucking Sega Genesis game that would come out, and it, that sounds fucking badass. <laughs> That's so cool, Metal Force. Uh, released September of 87, filmed in New York City, Toronto, and Ontario, Canada, a.k.a. Calhoun, according to Wikipedia. Uh, uh, excuse me, it was also called Calhoun, uh, according to Wikipedia. That was another uh, running title for the film, which has to be a play on of Callahan, in my mind, uh, from Clint Eastwood's Dirty Harry. So shout out to Dirty Harry. Those movies are awesome. The Deadpool, the last film of uh, the Dirty Harry series, actually stars, um, I believe it was Leslie Nielsen and uh, Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey's like a nutcase in that one. He's just out of his mind. But uh, that one... It's okay. The first like two or three Dirty Harrys are definitely a lot better than the last one. I think there's like five altogether. Uh, funny enough, it's free on YouTube and uh, it has its. You know, I I finally sat down and watched it. I'm glad that I did because growing up, my dad in the garage had a poster. Uh, he's a retired LAPD officer of 30 years and gave me the poster as a kid. Uh, when they finally moved and I uh, joined the uh, service, I don't recall what I did with the poster. It was in storage. I, I remember he mentioned that to me because I actually forwarded him the uh, film on YouTube. I was like, dude, finally sit down and watch this because I know we always used to talk about watching it. Uh, I'm not sure what happened to the uh, poster, but I just – I remember being memorized. Well, there's your one. I can't fucking speak English. Being mesmerized by the uh, cover art as a kid. And I told myself one of these days I'm going to sit down and find it and watch it. And I'm glad that I finally did and I enjoyed myself. It's – certainly worth a watch it's a little grainy because it's a tv made film from 87 but it's it's good it's a good action flick so get out there and watch it on youtube thank you for listening to that one let's move on to this next film all right i'm gonna get into a wishmaster three but i thought i'd play a little bit of a cd in the background let me turn it up a little bit a little uh, jimmy brinks it's a uh, underground hip-hop uh ep that i got many many years ago i think it might have been like maybe a surf skate or a snowboard shop or something i just remember getting one of those little samplers and i was like man this is good stuff and it's actually still in good shape i've had it for probably 20 years now but there it is jimmy brinks anyway 
Wishmaster 3, Beyond the Gates of Hell, 2001. It is uh, rated R. It is an hour and 29 minutes. I really don't have too much to say on this film. There really wasn't too much information on it. But the evil djinn is back again, wreaking havoc in the uh, students of Illinois Baxter University. It has a 3.5 out of almost 5,000 reviews. It's like 49.87. I rounded up. Uh, and it is deserved that rating because uh, the first two are clearly better despite the first one being a theatrical release and the second one being a direct-to-video sequel but played by Andrew Divoff uh, much better than John Novak's impersonation uh, of him in the, this film but anyway directed by Chris Angel no not the magician who uh, <laughs> actually did uh, episodes of Dexter apparently as I uh, dug into his information and the follow-up film he also directed a Wishmaster for the uh, prophecy uh, fulfilled which to uh, finish the series, I will certainly have to watch and uh, cover it and I will let you know how I feel. I probably won't like it as much as I definitely didn't like this one. The first two are certainly better. Starring a bunch of no names, uh, as I'm sure you guys can tell because, I mean, it's a video, straight to video film. Uh, trivially, and actually uh, interesting enough, I found that Andrew Divoff was set to reprise his role as the Jin in the third installment, even written a, a script titled. Uh, Wishmaster 3, The Third Millennium, revolving around the panic of uh, Y2K at the time. Uh, the script would have opened with an American uh, warship struck by a missile in Asia, meeting at the UN, interrupted by creatures coming to life and tearing apart the crowd. According to Divoff in an interview, he put a lot of thought into the script, but when he presented it to the producers, they turned it down, feeling it was too ambitious and expensive at the time, so they went with Alex Wright's script instead. Divoff read it, hated it, and left. I don't blame him. I wish they would have stuck with his script uh, ultimately because just being in a college and uh, being like a uh, architect or not architect, sorry, uh, archaeologist and a science uh, student for this film and discovering how to open up the little uh, box that the lead female had and, you know, releasing the gym was just pretty stupid. It was it was dumb. Uh, filmed back-to-back with Wishmaster 4, The Prophecy Fulfilled in 2002, which was also a straight-to-video, as I mentioned. There was a weekend between filming uh, both films, actually. That's it. Uh, the third and fourth were actually shot on a tight 16-day schedule, according to the director, Chris Angel. Filmed in Winnipeg, Canada, released October 2001 with a budget of $1.5 million. According to Wiki, has the second... Excuse me, this film was the direct uh, or the second direct to video sequel since the uh, second film was actually uh, was also straight to video and the first being theatrical, as I mentioned earlier. Now, Rotten Tomatoes, actually, not surprisingly enough, it has only four reviews, and guess what? They're all negative. So if I had a Rotten Tomatoes account, I would give it another negative. So therefore, five. First two are better. Watch the other ones. This one, you're not missing much. There it is, Wishmaster 3. Moving on to the next film. All right, now I'm going to be talking about Waxwork 2, and I'm going to be playing uh, When Broken is Easily Fixed in the background, Silverstein. I don't know if you guys can hear it. I certainly can. <laughs> okay, Waxwork 2, Lost in Time in 1992, rated R, hour and 44 minutes, labeled as a comedy, fantasy, horror, and it excels in the, that category, in my opinion. Just like the first one, it's essentially like Gremlins meets Monster Squad meets uh, like Jewel of the Nile meets... Uh, house too it's adventure horror it like there's not really many that are made in this kind of caliber of you know character and category dialogue everything it's just it's one of those you just have to watch it's fucking awesome well worth your time it's free on tubi 
It has a 5.4 out of 46 reviews, stars uh, Zach Galligan from the first installment, directed by Anthony Hickox, who uh, directed uh, the first installment as well as Hellraiser 3 and Steven Seagal's Submerged, uh, also written by Hickox uh, as well, who is a a British um, writer and director. It soars. Both of these films are just incredibly comedic, horrific, just filled with incredibly cool practical effects, corny dialogue. The plot, it's, you know, far-fetched, but I mean, you know what you're getting into with a lot of these uh, 80s films, and it's it's definitely, both of these films I don't feel like get talked about by, among the uh, fans of uh, the, uh, I guess, horror comedic genre, or even just, like I said, because it's like fantasy horror adventure. It's its own kind of, you know, shebang type deal. It like it doesn't get talked about like ever and it needs to be. So that's why I'm doing it justice, or at least I like to think I am uh, trivially near the end of the film around an hour. And uh, I believe like 30 minutes considering the film's an hour and 44 uh, drew Barrymore was actually a friend of the uh, director visited the set uh, during the vampire sequence and decided to put her in a, uh, the scene for a cameo appearance. Pretty cool. Uh, the director also offered Dolph Lundgren, the part of Frankenstein, but he turned it down. That would have been fucking cool in my mind because I feel like he's perfect for it. His height, his demeanor, everything. Dolph Lundgren, Frankenstein, like where's that film? I would love to see that. Uh, Lastly, one of the uh, items uh, Mark sees in the uh, secret room is actually a key with the label Bates Motel on it at around 13 minutes in the film. So early on within the film, there's a uh, Hitchcock reference. Shout out to uh, Hitchcock and Psycho. It's the part what you've created. Oh, yeah, Silverstein. Anyway, <laughs> couldn't help myself. Uh, released May of 1992, actually in, like, Philippines and Japan. Uh, its budget was $3.5 million, uh, filmed in Toronto, Ontario, and Los Angeles, California. But here in the States, it received, actually, a direct-to-video release uh, in June of 1992, so a month later. Uh, features work from uh, Bruce Campbell as well uh, in this installment, uh, just like in the other film I'm about to talk to at, talk to you guys after this one. Bruce Campbell's in that as well. But getting back to this film, Waxwork 2. Production-wise, Hickox is a British uh, writer and director. The American actors were allowed to speak the dialogue in their own words, replacing common British speech mannerisms with American ones. Many anachronisms uh, in the film were actually on purpose, essentially as an Easter egg for fans. So, I mean, you know, that's pretty cool. Receptively, rest in peace, TV Guide, classic. Uh, They rated it out of two out of five, liking the sequel more than the original. But here's a quote. It ends up a little more than a good idea that needed uh, instead, uh, excuse me, that needed a steadier hand at the helm, end quote. But they're both good in their own right. Yes, the first one is definitely better in my mind, but there's just some really cool effects in this one. Uh, The uh, Creature Feature book uh, found the movie was worth a 3.5 out of 5 stars and said it would appeal to horror fans as it does between the excellent practical effects, like I said, off-the-wall banter. Uh, It's just, it's a solid sequel to a film. It literally picks up right where the first one left off, just like how the first Halloween 1978 picks up right where Halloween, or excuse me, uh, I have that backwards. (laughs) The first Halloween 1978 and then come Halloween 2 picks up right where the first one left off where, uh, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis, Laurie Strode's in the hospital. Um, That's what I was trying to say, Jesus. Uh, I spoke English there, so I'm not going to give you guys that one. You have your one for this episode so far. Uh, with the adventure horror elements to it, like I said, well worth your time, both films. The end of the film was also supposed to be the end of the original film, but they wanted uh, a duel in the uh, first installment at the end of the uh, that one instead of the uh, 
way that this one ends. Like I said, no spoilers here in my uh, banter in regards to all these films that I've presented to you guys thus far. I want you guys to watch them for your own. I'm just giving you tidbits of information here and there. Uh, so go watch it. Like I said, it's on Tubi. It's free. Tell me what you think. If you're a fan of this stuff, you won't be disappointed. It's awesome. So get out there and watch it. All right, on to the next film. Let's go. All right, continuing my uh, movie exploits and uh, reviewings and recordings of this uh, episode and continuing uh, my uh, Silverstein, uh, When Broken is Easily Fixed, uh, track six. No, track eight, excuse me. Crime Wave, 1985, PG-13. It is an hour and 26 minutes. A comedy crime horror properly labeled here, in my opinion, as well as the plot. It, it is a bit, uh, excuse me, it is about a, a pair of uh, whacked out cartoon-like exterminators, hitmen who kill the uh, owner of a burglar uh, alarm uh, company. Irony, yes, indeed. Uh, and stalk the partner who hired them, his wife, and a nerd framed for the murder who essentially narrates and tells the story in flashbacks as an inmate on his way to a, a, the electric chair on death row. It has a 5.6 out of 6,300 reviews, and it is, uh, as one of the villains, actually, uh, Brian James, B-R-I-O-N, uh, from Horror Show, a.k.a. House 3, the guy with uh, the blonde hair, and he kind of has the hee <laughs> like laugh in the film, and he has that kind of laugh in a lot of similar other films that he portrayed in the 80s and 90s. Uh, Paul L. Smith, the other villain, also from uh, Dune and Red Sonja, as well as he played uh, Bluto in the Robin Williams uh, portrayal of uh, Popeye in the 80s. This film also features Bruce Campbell as a hothead uh, heel, quote-unquote, uh, what they used to call uh, men back in the day. A uh, handsome uh, figure uh, since, you know, I mean, and of course, go figure that he's in the film. Uh, it's done by uh, Sam Raimi. Uh, I will get into their uh, turmoil over Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell here momentarily. Uh, Francis McDormand as the uh, nun at the end in the uh, film in uh, the police uh, facility Right before the guy's about to get electrocuted, she's in the, the uh, she's in the electric chair chamber with him, which uh, makes sense because she worked with uh, Raimi and the Coen Brothers uh, films guys together along the lines of like Blood Simple and so forth. Uh, the first film that uh, the Coen Brothers did, and uh, she's even married to one of the Coen Brothers, which I'm sure a lot of you uh, film buffs probably already know. Uh, excuse me, uh, Sam's brother uh, Ted Raimi is also in the film as a waiter, which. You know, not to be missed. The poor guy is not a very uh, attractive individual. Uh, and <laughs> just like, you know, Ron Howard and Clint Howard, they both get work. Uh, Ron, obviously, being a better looking uh, individual. Uh, come on, man. Uh, classic. Opie, Andy Griffith show. Come on. And then uh, obviously, Clint Howard did a, you know, Ice Cream Man. I think it was like 1995, 1996. That poor guy is not very good looking at all. And then obviously, uh, in Waterboy as well. Shout out to Waterboy. Great film. Okay, trivially, back to Crime Wave. Uh, Bruce Campbell commented that the film wasn't released, it escaped. And that is a good, that is a good depiction of the uh, film. Bravo, Bruce Campbell there. Uh, I wonder how he feels about Intruder, personally, uh, in my opinion. And the film that Bruce Campbell and Sam uh, did that doesn't deserve, or excuse me, doesn't necessarily get enough credit as well as this film, I feel like, uh, personally. This run and uh, Crime Wave, excuse me, yes, Crime Wave is free on Tubi. Uh, go watch it. It's fucking, it's a trip. It's highly worth your time. Uh, Intruder, though, oh, man, that's, 
that's a whole nother uh, review and talk for another day. That is a great fucking horror film in a, a market. And that is one of the only horror films that I can think of that takes place within a grocery store. But uh, yes, this film, back to it. Uh, co-written by the Coen brothers, as I stated, uh, who appear actually as newspaper photographers during the uh, prison scenes, uh, which you get a lot of, well, not necessarily a lot, but a, a decent amount of back and forth through the narration of the uh, nerd who uh, portrays the story through uh, his perspective. But uh, okay. Paul Smith, one of the uh, big villains who I mentioned, who also plays Bluto in the uh, Popeye adaptation, uh, was actually dubbed by a uh, wrestler, Dick Affliss, AKA Dick the Bruiser during post-production. Uh, you know, shout out to wrestling and shout out to you, Austin James. There's, there's your one brother. Uh, crazy enough, Brian James, uh, trashed his hotel room in an attempt to exercise a ghost from his, uh, light fixture who he thought was actually haunting him from, uh, one of his girlfriend's ex-boyfriends, uh, in the past. Interesting, right? This film has a lot of fucking problems with it and I'm about to get into it right now, but it's, it's interesting. Uh, lastly, the original title for the film was actually called Relentless. Uh, Wiki says it's unusual splat. Okay, there's your two. Uh, I can't fucking speak English. Well, uh, I couldn't speak English uh, twice out of like five films I've already gone over, so that's that's not bad in my book. Uh, Wiki says that this film is an, an unusual slapstick mix of noir, Hitchcocky uh, related suspense, and a black comedy, and very fitting. Very, very fitting, those uh, three particular adjectives. Uh, the tagline is, extermination is not just a business, it's a way of life. That's from the VHS uh, cover. I actually just eBayed it. I was curious. The VHS it goes for anywhere between like 15 to 30 bucks. Not necessarily too bad. I, I wouldn't mind owning a VHS copy of it because it's just so obscure. Like, I've never heard of this film. I saw it on Tubi and I was like, I recognize that guy, Brian James, because I enjoyed horror show uh, House 3 for what it's worth. It's not the best. House 1 and 2 are certainly better. You guys already know. I've already talked about it. Anyway, moving on. Box office gross was uh, $5,000 off of a $2.5 million budget. This film basically made nothing. They might as well just throw fucking trash in the street. <laughs> the film followed, uh, or excuse me, the film that was followed was uh, essentially, wow, can't speak English. Well, okay, excuse me. I could speak English. I just spoke out of order. The film, this particular film, Crime Wave 85, followed the success of Evil Dead 81. Embassy Pictures refused to let Sam Raimi edit it. The film flopped and fell into obscurity outside of fan knowledge and thanks to Tubi, as I mentioned. The uh, failure led to an inception of Evil Dead 2. So Sam was like, yo, I need to make uh, some money back. So they essentially made Evil Dead 2. And that's, yeah, this film kind of faded into nothingness. <clears throat> Producer Norman Lear suggested that they change the uh, title from Relentless to Crime Wave and it stuck. It's a much better... Uh, title i always kind of associated it with a the crystal castle song uh crime wave which clearly if you read the lyrics has nothing to do with this film but anyway uh shout out to crystal castles uh chip tunes is pretty cool uh campbell bruce campbell actually auditioned for the uh, lead role unlike in evil dead the first uh installment <clears throat> he wasn't uh tested for it he just was granted the role he didn't get the part for the uh, main protagonist but the character for the heel uh, Ronaldo, as his name is uh, in this film, he uh, he got that instead. Producers didn't actually want Campbell, but in retaliation, Sam Raimi uh, lengthened the role for the supporting actor for uh, Campbell as Ronaldo the heel, so he could be in the film. Pretty fucking cool. That you know they got each other's back on you know on set. According to Campbell, the lead actress uh, Louise Lasser was actually heavily uh, coked out 
and uh, fired her makeup artist and was difficult to work with. She often applied her own makeup poorly at, you know, at that and uh, had messed up hair, not necessarily caring how she appeared on set. She just continued to act nonetheless. And she even at times refused to leave her trailer, annoying the cast members in the production. Pretty fucking nuts. Uh, at one point, uh, shooting took place. This this one's actually really fucking interesting. Uh, at one point, shooting took uh, not take took past tense. Shooting took place uh, overlooking the Detroit River, which was frozen at the time. However, the script called for clear running water. The crew braved themselves in the low temperatures and conditions to clear the ice, finally blowing it up with dynamite. Yeah, I was <laughs> like, I was like, did I read that right? Jesus. To make matters worse, the films in uh, Italy and France were actually changed to Death on the Grill and Two of the Craziest Killers in the World. What a... The fuck, man? The changes. Jeez. In the U.S., the film was released in Santa Cruz, California, and get this, Kansas and Alaska. That's it. To make it eligible for HBO broadcast. Yeah, this film was just doomed from the start. Rotten Tomatoes gives it a 57%, surprisingly, out of seven reviews positive with a rating of 6.4 out of 10 so it's clearly a bunch of nerds who enjoy obscure films like myself is what it sounds like well deserved for the niche uh, unheard of minor cult film classic uh, in 2010 james franco and bill Hader, funny enough pay tribute to Raimi in a parody scene of spider-man 2 the actors discuss a uh, crime wave among Raimi's other films believing it to be a sketch featuring the first reference to the uh, film crime wave ever pretty cool uh, home media crime wave has a blu-ray uh, dvd release from shout factory which was made in 2013 which is funny because earlier like i said i couldn't find anything about a vhs release but then when i went when i went on ebay i was like crime wave 1985 vhs first thing pops up i think it was like 24.99 i was like oh that's not bad so get your shit together wiki uh, anyway hey uh at least uh you know watch it once it's bizarre it's up there with like Bakker. Bakaru. Okay, there's your third one. Can't fucking speak English. Uh, Bakaru Bonsai and uh, Brazil and Adventures of Baron Munchausen. It's one of those just weird ones that you have to watch to believe it. At least one viewing. Decide for yourself. I enjoyed it despite its strange appeal and it has cool effects as well. There's a lot of really cool practical effects and stunts and so forth. It's. I think it's designed to be poorly bad, but in its own right, it's still cool. In my mind, at least. So get out there and watch it. All right, moving on to the next topic. Thank you. All right, in the spirit of episode 52, I'm going to be talking about Action 52, an unlicensed multi-cart game from Active Enterprises for the NES and by Farsight Technologies for the Sega Genesis. If you can hear the music in the background, I decided to change up my CD and I put in Billy Talent, the first album. I think it's a highly underrated, well, one and two are just it's just indie core at its greatest. Uh, you know, I don't feel like those bands get enough recognition. Anyway, back to what I'm talking about. Uh, the NES game action 52 released 1991 and on Sega Genesis in 1993, which apparently is marginally better than the first, but it is still, it's bad <laughs> containing, uh, many games, mostly shooting and platformers featuring the cheetah men in an attempt to rival the teenage mutant Ninja turtle franchise, uh, legally incorporated in the uh, Bahamas, uh, its offices are in Miami, Florida, and the product warehouse for the game was in Orlando, Florida. The NES version is infamously uh, among gamers just 
known for its poor quality and functionality. Considered one of the worst video games of all time, many collectors value it for its uh, notoriety and uh, rarity. Uh, retailing originally for $199 at release uh, in 91. Now, on price charting as of late, uh, the NES version loose goes for $373. Complete, $773. Or new for damn near grand, $924. Genesis loose is actually surprisingly affordable, uh, $56. So if you want a, uh, a rare game that's bad, there it is, $56. Or complete for $148, almost $150. Or new, $382. For those of you uh, sealed collectors out there, uh, major price difference for a slightly better quality uh, game, even though they're both arguably just terrible. Created by Vince Perry, noticed his son playing an illegal product made from uh, Taiwan having 40 games on it, and he figured he would do it legally, knowing that there was uh, something in there for the quality of what you get and what you put into it. Perry met uh, Mario Gonzalez at a studio who was a sound engineer, and they wanted each other to work on a game together similarly uh, in relation to a bootleg cartridge that uh, Perry's son had. Gonzalez happened to be friends with uh, individuals who created a Tetris clone and uh, noticed its success, uh, so they were hired to create a game. Perry raised $5 million for the multi-cart from private backers in Europe and Saudi Arabia, uh, developers used an Atari ST given three months to complete the Action 52 cartridge, leaving little time to fix bugs, and it shows. A version for the SNES, Super Nintendo, was planned on October of 1993, but canceled due to poor sales and its reception for the first two installments. Uh, there are prototypes. Prototype 1 has a blue circuit board inside of a transparent case with a blue label. The second has a transparent case as well with a black circuit board and a transparent label. The retail cart has a green circuit board but a blue or orange capacitor to bypass the uh, lockout functionality of the Nintendo Entertainment System. Only two copies of Prototype 1 exist that we know of, and then uh, unknown how many Prototype 2s exist and are extremely rare. Cheetahman is missing from these two prototypes. I have Cheetahman as well as Action 52 emulated on my NES Mini. And yes, it's nothing special. Uh, they're terrible games, but Cheetahman being the only one worth relatively playing for a couple of minutes of its time, uh, it, it's, it's just awful. It's absolutely a terrible platformer. It's like a run-and-gun kind of platformer. Nothing even remotely close to like Contra being one of arguably the best uh, run-and-gun platformers on uh, the NES. But, uh, I mean, for what it's worth... It was interesting to talk about and research. You know, it's it's incredibly expensive now and extremely rare and hard to find. But uh, there it is. There's Action 52. Moving on to this other video game that has 52 in it. All right. Closing out this episode with uh, B-52 and still Billy Talent in the background. Uh, B-52 is a side-scrolling game published by Codemasters for the NES in 1992. And actually, I saw it in the wild at a store called Throwback Games in Oceanside, sealed for $60. I should have got it at the time, and I didn't. I think I can't remember what I purchased and said. I digress. But uh, published by Comerica, released in 1992, also for the Commodore 64, uh, completed in 1993, but not published due to Codemasters withdrawing from the C64 market. After reaching an agreement with Codemasters, the uh, programmer sold the game via a uh, mail order, actually. 
uh, loose. Now it is only $15 complete for 60 or sealed 97. So not much more than what I would have paid for it at the time. I don't necessarily need it. If I see it complete or loose, I might get it because it's just a cool piece of unlicensed uh, sort of history. <coughs> Excuse me. The player controls a honeybee that spits projectiles through 12 levels. First four are in a backyard, next is in a swamp, and the uh, remaining levels are in a house. Enemies include ants, grasshoppers, dragonflies, and Venus flytraps. The player finds and collects uh, pollen from flowers and returns to uh, fill a honey jar. Receptive Lead is considered a fascinating game for its premise and its strength of execution. I enjoyed personally what I've played uh, via emulation. It's, it's worth a playthrough. It was just an interesting... Uh, unlicensed game and like i said it's episode 52 so i had to talk about action 52 and b52 no uh band pun intended however b52s are awesome uh okay closing out with a game that i got on switch called figment for one dollar and 99 cents you can't beat that the sale ends march 3rd i believe otherwise the game is i don't know around 10 to 15 dollars it's not that expensive but it's essentially like a tim burton-y kind of pixel art cell shaded um zelda clone i guess if you will it's an isometric view with puzzle elements uh, b to roll y is to attack a is to essentially acknowledge or uh x to pull up your inventory and then a to acknowledge what you're about to utilize whether you're taking something off or adding something it's puzzle heavy the puzzles aren't that hard it's very uh, it's rhyme oriented as far as the dialogue goes kind of like how uh um, child of light is played it's kind of drawn similar to that it's not necessarily an rpg in that regard but it, it is i'd say it's an rpg in its own right because i mean you uh get these little white orbs that um promote your uh skills and health and so forth but uh it's a lot of fun yeah figment is really cool uh the sequel actually comes out here uh, pretty soon and i think it's like 25 bucks so i mean i'll probably wait until that goes on sale i mean i just have no need to spend 25 bucks on something right now in relation to that i have plenty of switch games i need to play plenty of well i only have about yeah i got a lot of uh 360 games i need to get through as well but uh yes uh so those games are cool in their own right action 52 b52 and figment is really cool i, I would suggest playing it. i mean for two dollars you can't beat that for those of you switch owners out there want to play something a little different that's pretty pretty damn cool so there it is episode 52 coming at you thank you for the love and support as always everybody enjoy the rest of your weekend or day wherever the hell you are thank you as always enjoy